Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Good morning, everyone. Let's take out our Bibles today uh, and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to finish a book of Galatians today. And uh, I've just been so blessed by the book of Galatians. And uh, to be honest, when we began this study back in November, uh, beginning to go verse by verse through this book, I was a little bit intimidated by Galatians. You know, there are some dense arguments that Paul makes in this book. There were some passages that I was not all that certain as I entered into it exactly what he was meaning or intending. And uh, I want you to rest assured, I've had some really good friends that have helped me along the way. I've got a long bibliography of resources and scholars and teachers that have aided me as we've gone through this book, but it has renewed my love for the gospel in a very fresh way. And I'm just so thankful. We have, you guys, we have the answer. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. As Paul said to the Roman church, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And so we've been able to mine this gospel, think about this gospel, and I pray that the book of Galatians will be a friend to you for years to come. So this is, this is the sermon before the sermon that I'm giving right now. So I'm very excited about uh, this book. Uh, If you're new here to the church, uh, that's what we do. We go verse by verse through various books of the Bible, and our vision as a church is Jesus famous. What that means is we want to see Jesus famous in you individually. We want him to be loved, revered, respected, adored, hallowed within your own heart for an appreciation for what he has done to grow inside of you because we believe that that will affect your life in such positive and incredible ways, not just for eternity, but right here here and now. And then our desire after that is that Jesus would be famous among us as as we know him personally, love him personally, place him in the prime preeminent slot personally. It changes our community, our church, our family of spiritual believers. And then we pray that Jesus would be famous through us to the world and community that we are living in, that we'd be representatives of Christ to our community who are walking with Jesus, loving in Jesus, growing in Jesus for many years to come. So I pray that you would join in on this with us as a church. Last week, I gave a little announcement about our facility and some things we're gonna be doing here uh, over the next year. And uh, if you miss that or you'd like more details about that, you can go to calvary.com slash building and uh, you can see it either in written form for those of you who would like to see it quickly or there's a longer video where I share for about 40 minutes the vision and heart behind the things that we'll be doing over the course of this next year. But keep it in prayer and uh, ask the Lord to bless because I I think that God uh, has us as a gospel preaching, Bible teaching, uh, 
Jesus-loving fellowship for many years to come. In fact, just the other day, I don't know that I really want this prayer to come to pass or not, but I was just sort of ruminating before the Lord, and I just kind of was thinking about how this church was started in 1979, the year after I was born, and I was just asking God, Lord, it, it would be so cool if you let me live an exceptionally long life, and I made it to my 101st birthday, and they wheeled me in here to this church to celebrate the 100-year birthday party of this gospel-centered, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving church. So I'm, I'm trying to be clear. I don't want to pastor you guys until then, uh, but how cool would that be? So what a legacy we can leave here on this uh, peninsula. All right, our passage today, like I said, is Galatians 6, verse 11 to uh, 18, and I want to read the whole thing together uh, with you. Uh, before we pray and then think about this passage. This is Paul's conclusion, and uh, it starts in verse 11. He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Uh, it is those, verse 12, who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But, verse 14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, verse 17, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And Lord, we say amen to this beautiful book that you have preserved for us over these years. Thank you for this magnificent defense of the gospel of grace. And Lord, we pray that it would be a friend to every one of us who have thought about it these last number of months for years to come, that we would draw, Lord, from the truth that we've been able to consider together. And Lord, in this final passage, we pray that you'd speak to us and teach us and Help us, Lord, to remember afresh as we've been thinking about all throughout this book the power of the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, I, I uh, have never been accused of being a highly musical person, uh, but they tell me that the melody is the most important part of the song. That, that part of the song that is recognizable, a certain sequence of notes that the songwriter or the composer will put into the song, not only at the beginning, uh, but scatter throughout the song and usually end the song with a crescendo of that melody that the listener has grown accustomed to. Uh, if you were to say that the book of Galatians was like a song, uh, Paul had a very distinct melody that he began this song with. All the way at the beginning in chapter 1, uh, which we covered in our first teaching on Galatians, uh, Paul said that he was astonished 
that there were some in Galatia who were turning so quickly from the grace of Christ to a different and therefore false gospel. Then in verse eight and nine of chapter one, he said that anyone, if if even an angel added to the gospel of Christ in any way, they should be accursed or cut off from the church. And then he went on to say that he was willing to fall out of favor with anyone, any human, so that he could hold fast to the true gospel and be a genuine servant of Christ. In other words, Paul said there at the beginning of this book, if I'm the last man standing, I'm going to hold on to the gospel even if everyone else runs away from it, even if everyone else flees from it. That's how he began the song, and that's the melody that he played all throughout the book of Galatians. He came back to those same themes time and time again. But here at the end of the book, in these last handful of verses, Paul returns to that beautiful melody again to say, basically, legalism is ineffective and the cross of Jesus Christ is powerful. Our lives can be changed because of what Jesus has has done and not through rules and regulations. And Paul did what he could to make sure that this closing portion of Galatians, if it were a song, he sings it loudly. In fact, uh, he says there in verse 11 that I'm writing this with such large letters in my own hand. Uh, Paul's custom was to dictate his letters to a scribe. Someone else would write down the things that Paul verbalized uh, in his letters. But he told the Thessalonian church in one of his letters that his custom was to, at some point near the end of his letter, take the scroll back from his amanuensis or his scribe and write the conclusion with his own hand. It was a way to verify the authenticity of the letters that he wrote, a personal autograph at the very end in his own handwriting. But here he says, I am writing my typical ending with huge letters, with large letters. And I think that what Paul is saying is, this is my all caps, all bold, all italicized, all underlined ending to my letter. This is the crescendo of my song and I want you to pay attention. Like I said, if this were a song, it reminds me of the old LL Cool J lyric who I grew up on back in the day and his song, My Radio, he said, I kick my volume way past 10. And that's what what Paul is doing right here. He is putting his volume way past 10 and saying, listen to the words that I have to speak. Now, there were those in Galatia who said that one needed to add circumcision and other Jewish ceremonies and customs to really be received by Jesus. There's Jesus plus something else. To be truly saved, they said, people need to keep the law. But Paul thought that the message of the cross combined with the influence of the spirit could produce a dynamic and full and rich and beautiful life in anyone who received it. So Paul hated legalism. He saw it as completely useless for true life transformation. And in these closing sentences, he comes back to this main theme and tells us one last time, legalism is ineffective and the cross is powerful.
So let's think about those two things this morning from this text. First, let's consider how legalism is ineffective. He talks about this in verse 12 and 13. And the first thing that he really tells us about why legalism is ineffective is because legalism, at the end of the day, it's not real and substantive and inward and transformative. It's actually just something that's done outwardly for show. Uh, he, He says in verse 12, he says, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Uh, They wanted to, in other words, look a certain way, even if internally that's not what was happening within. It seems that the legalizers that came to Galatia, they wanted to look good to the religious Jewish community because they lived in the religious Jewish community. So their form of legalism said, we should act a little bit like the society that we're in because it will soften the blow. It will make us more accepted in the culture and the world that we are living in. But the motivation was clear. It was legalism driven by show or by performance for other people. And why did they care so much? Why did they want to make such a good showing to other people? Why was that important to them? Why did they care so much about what other people thought? As Paul started the letter, he said, it's fine. If, if I, I, I am not judged by anyone, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm gonna hold fast to the gospel. Why didn't they have that perspective? Well, Paul said it in verse 12. He said, it's because they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. At the end of the day, these legalists, though they liked Jesus, these legalists, though they didn't want to entirely deny Jesus, they knew that they could avoid a little bit of persecution or marginalization from their fellow Jewish countrymen if they were seen promoting Jewish customs or religious laws to these new non-Jewish Christians in Galatia. If these laws were added to the cross, the offense of the cross would cease, and so would the persecution. But the reality is, that's not the gospel. The pure and unadulterated gospel, at the end of the day, it is offensive to every type of human heart because it says that we are all, every one of us, too weak, too broken, and too sinful to fix ourselves, that we needed someone from the outside to deliver us, to save us, to rescue us, that there's nothing that we can do to save or even transform ourselves. In a sense, the gospel is offensive because there are some who say it's intolerant because it says that the only way to be saved is through Christ's cross. But the gospel is also offensive to those who are morally good because good people, quote unquote, and bad people, quote unquote, are both condemned before God and in need of the cross. The gospel, Christianity, is not a mere religion that offers some version of moral goodness to a society, but news that announces the exclusive solution to human brokenness. And because that's what the gospel is, Those who believe it and those who preach it are sometimes marginalized or even as Paul alluded to, persecuted. And I want you to notice that motivation. 
from the legalists. They wanted to be, if I could say it this way, similar enough not to stand out. They wanted to be similar enough not to stand out. They wanted to water down the cross until everyone would leave them alone. They weren't prepared to be ostracized by society. They weren't prepared to live as exiles or pilgrims in a foreign land. So they distorted the gospel in an attempt to fit in. I think it's here that we as the church have a tremendous opportunity to get back to our roots. You know, the New Testament believers, they just thought of themselves as different. We're exiles, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners. We have a dual citizenship, citizenship here, but a citizenship in heaven. And they saw themselves through that grid. And I think that when we recognize we don't have to fit in, we won't ever fit in. And the gospel that we believe in might even cost us at times. I think when we embrace that perspective, it strengthens us and brings us back to what God originally intended. So legalism is ineffective, partly because it's all for show, but Paul also reminded his readers that legalism is ineffective because it doesn't produce real change. Like I said, it, 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 it doesn't do anything inwardly for the heart. And that's where real true transformation needs to occur. Look at what he said in verse 13. He said, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. In other words, uh, they might have added external rules, but internally they were still lawbreakers. You see, true transformation does not happen by legalism. Instead, it happens, as Paul has been saying to us in Galatians 5 and 6, as we walk with God, the Spirit changes and transforms our lives. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He said, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, as we fellowship with Father God, the Spirit of God changes us from the inside out to look more and more like the Son of God. Now, when I say that legalism does not produce real change, I'm alluding to all forms of legalism. Uh, there's a great book on Christian ethics that uh, <clears throat> was written a number of years ago by a theologian named Wayne Grudem. And uh, he breaks legalism into four categories. And, and I think he's got a good take on what legalism is. Uh, first, there's the category regarding justification. You know, saying that to be saved, it's Jesus plus something else. That's the first big category of legalism. But secondly, there's legalism that adds to the commands of Scripture. So there's what the Bible says the Christian life looks like, and then there's the adding to that, that, those descriptions. Uh, for, for instance, I heard recently of a homeschool curriculum that uh, sought in one of their lessons to describe biblical womanhood. And uh, they had all these different attributes uh, followed by scripture references. And then uh, at one point, there was the attribute, uh, a biblical woman is dainty. And then there were no scriptural references uh, because there aren't any. <laughs> but it just fell to the authors like, we should throw that one in there. And so that, that's what I mean by an adding to. 
Third, there is legalism that occurs uh, in our heart attitude towards one another. Uh, This happens when we begin to take on a judgmental or a hypercritical spirit or eye towards others. We're policing or judging, in other words. And I think in those cases, we've capitulated to that form of legalism. And finally, fourthly, there's the legalism of overemphasis on pet topics. Uh, This type of legalism takes secondary or even less than secondary positions, things that are important or maybe even true, uh, but they put them on the first priority level. And uh, all of these forms of legalism, they produce momentary levels of fear or pride-based performance, but not true heart-level change and transformation. And isn't that what we truly want? Don't we want to be changed truly and honestly and genuinely from the inside out? That's what we long for. That's what we need. Uh, But legalism on the outside, it, it might look good, but the insides, to quote Jesus, are full of dead men's bones. There's just a decay within uh, recently, our, our uh, middle school ministry, they did an event for the middle school kids called a, a human scavenger hunt. I don't know if you've ever heard of what these are. I had to have it explained to me, but it's a thing where you go to some space. They chose the Del Monte Shopping Center or some public area, and uh, there will be a group of people that are uh, just out in plain sight kind of cruising around in that area that the people in the game need to try to find. So you'd had a bunch of groups of middle schoolers led by an adult chaperone, lest they go too crazy, kind of cruising through the mall. And they were looking for, I don't know, a set of 25 or so people that they had pictures of ahead of time. And and the people that they were looking for were uh, adult uh, leaders in the ministry, in the youth ministry, and then also some high school students who had volunteered and said, yeah, we'll go and we'll kind of, you know, be there. You're not like hiding in a coat rack you're walking around, uh, but you're supposed to disguise yourself. So if you think about it, like how do you disguise yourself for something like that? Well, you, you don't dress up like a dinosaur or something because that you'll stand out and they'll notice who you are. So uh, my youngest daughter decided that she, as a high school student, she would go and be one of the, the, the kids that was hiding or, or disguising herself uh, that, that day. And uh, so in the Holdridge house, I don't know how this happened, but when, whenever there's like a costume thing, we go all out. We're like all in on it. So we're, we're as a family, like brainstorming, thinking about it. And she, she decided that what she would go as was as a millennial generation mom. That's what she would do. I'm going to be a mom who's a millennial. So she, she had like these fresh sneakers on. She had running leggings on. She had like a Vori jacket on, you know, athleisure to the max. She had a Starbucks cup that she was carrying around. She had cool glasses on, some frames. She had a hat that she was wearing because, you know, she didn't have time to do her hair that day, you know, kind of thing. And she even had a, uh, a, like a baby Bjorn or a, like a sling that was on her that she put a fake baby inside. <laughs> and uh, she looked like a millennial mom. It was a little too close for me. I did not, <laughs> did not like that. But as she was cruising around the mall, at one point she was in Macy's and an, and an older uh, couple came up to her and they're like, oh, so cute, can we see the baby, you know? 
And she had to break it to him. She's like, I'm 15. We're playing a really weird game right now. It's a fake baby. <laughs> and I'm sure that couple just left going like, ah, kids these days, what? <laughs> okay, legalism. Go with me here. It makes fake babies. It's got a look, it's got an appearance, it, it, it appears holy, it appears righteous, it appears godly, it appears passionate, it appears all in, it appears, it looks, but the real thing hasn't occurred. God is looking at us and he's saying, I want you to have something real. I love you too much to let you play in the fake external I want to, by my spirit, change you from the inside out. Paul said it this way in Romans 2. He said, circumcision is not outward and physical, but a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. The true change comes when the gospel touches you, sets you free, and when you continue walking in the spirit so that he can continue to transform your life. Okay, so that's legalism. Legalism is ineffective. And then the second real big thing that Paul focused on here is that the cross is powerful. The cross is powerful. Uh, and the first way that he told us that the cross is powerful is that it sets us free. Uh, specifically, it sets us free from the world. Look at what he says in verse 14. He said that it was by the cross that the world had been crucified to him and that he had been crucified to the world. You know, to him it was like, when, when Jesus died, the world died on the cross with him, and, and so it is dead to me, and when Jesus died, I died on the cross with him, so I am dead to the world. Now, when Paul talked about the world here, he's not talking about people, and he's not talking about the planet. God loves both of those things. God loves the people of this world and wants to redeem them, save them, rescue them. That's why he sent his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And he's not talking about the planet either. The creation is longing for its day of redemption when Jesus returns. Instead, what Paul was talking about is a, a, a system that is entirely opposed to God. It's invisible, but you see its effects. It's pervasive and persuasive. Uh, sometimes it's so obviously in contrast to and in opposition to God, but a lot of times it's so incrementally by a number of degrees away from God that it's like it puts God's people even on a slow conveyor belt where at first, they're not far off from God's desires, but over time, their lives begin to look completely like the world system all around them and are not informed at all by the New Testament and the gospel of grace. Now, in the past, um, the, the church railed hard against the world. And what happened in denominations and environments like that is that the, the label worldly was thrown 
out very loosely. Uh, pretty soon, everything was worldly. It's like you, you started feeling like the only thing I can do is go to a church service. And even at that church service, I better not move around too much because that might be worldly. There, might not, there better not be drums there because that will be worldly. I mean, pretty soon everything got this label. Movies, dancing, art, entertainment, sports, everything given the label worldly. And when that started to happen, uh, generations of Christians stopped talking about the world because it was embarrassing. There was just like this move away from thinking about it because you didn't want to be connected to that kind of extra biblical, beyond the Bible teaching. Uh, but I think when we stopped talking about it, we began falling prey to it. And pretty soon, many of our lives became indiscernible from the world. It's network of relationships, it's way of educating us, it's entertainment agendas, it's consumeristic economics, it's polarizing news cycles. It massaged a lot of us into a way of life that was worldly. So I think in a sense, we should get back to thinking about the world. Not as legalists who are condemning things that are totally redeemable or acceptable in God's mind and thought, uh, but as people seeking to live as pilgrims for our Lord. We should seek, as Paul said in Romans 12, verse two, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what Paul knew is that the cross had set him free from the pull of the world. He was no longer in need of man's praise. He no longer feared man's persecution. When, when Jesus died on the cross, it was as if the world died with Jesus to Paul, and Paul died with Jesus to the world. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you've been set free in the same way as well. The same thing has happened to you. The world system, though it might be attractive, though it might want to disciple you, it doesn't matter. It's dead to you positionally, and you are dead to it. And my encouragement would be don't live in the ways of the world any longer. You don't have to. If you're in Christ, you're free from that. And there's a new pattern of life that Jesus wants to give to you, that Christ wants to give to you. And that's part of what we're doing as we mine the pages of the Old and New Testament. We're trying to discover that beautiful new life that is contrary to the way that the world wants to tell us to live. It's trying to show us the way that God would have us to live. And it's a much better life. Amen. But Paul also reminded his readers that the cross is powerful because it makes us new. Look at what he said in verse 15. He said, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what really matters, he said. Not, not outward things, but the inward thing of a new creation. Legalism can't change us, but the cross can. And when we believe in him, when we believe in Jesus, we become brand new and we get a new nature, the Bible teaches us. We become new creatures in God's sight. Uh, a friend of mine <clears throat> uh, came to the States from India uh, for college. And uh, he was not a Christian and had been raised in a completely different religious environment and had adopted the religions that his parents and culture had given to him. 
far from home, uh, some people shared the gospel with him. He heard the gospel, but he, he rejected it out of hand. He, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. It wasn't attractive to him or appealing to him in any way. And he just kind of went on through his life. And things were going well, but he, he said that there was a night where he had a, what he described as a vision. And in the vision, he saw Jesus and he heard the gospel and he decided to believe that message that had previously been preached to them, that seed that had been put in his heart. He believed it when he saw that radical vision. And what he says is that his life went through an incredibly radical transformation. In his old religion, there were all these things about himself that he wanted to see changed and that he worked to try to change, but he could not find the transformation that he sought. He said, but when Christ came into my life, I started seeing a rapidity of transformation taking place as I walked with him. Paul said that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that newness comes through simple faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. So the cross, it gives us this brand new identity. We're free from the world. We're free from its pressures. We're now free to be transformed by the Spirit as opposed to legalistic rules. And Paul knew that this was the way that peace could happen. That's why he said for all, verse 16, who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. God's true people experience God's true peace as they believe and trust God's true gospel is what Paul is saying. Uh, I heard a story years ago that <clears throat> I, uh, just kind of stuck in my mind and it was told by that financial advisor, uh, Susie Orman. I don't know anything about her financial advice and I am not endorsing anything right now <laughs> that she says. I am not a certified financial planner. Uh, but, but she tells this story that uh, she says shaped the way that she viewed money. It, it happened to her when she was a little girl and her dad was never a wealthy man and he was a business owner of a small little chicken shack. And uh, one day, a fire hit their business and everything was burning and uh, the family was all in there and it was like a big rampage to get out, but everybody got out to outside and they were all safe. But then she said, I'll never forget, my dad remembered that all of our family's money was in the cash register inside. And so he ran into the burning building and he grabbed the cash register, but because it was an all metal cash register, in order for him to bring it outside, he had to endure third degree burns on his upper body. And she said that it was then that she began to believe that money is more important than life itself. I think the book of Galatians shows us how Paul was willing to run into the fires of controversy and persecution all so that he could save the gospel. I think that this letter, it should jolt us into an understanding that the gospel is more important than life itself. If, if the church 
loses the gospel. They've lost the source of life itself. So Paul is showing us through his insistence, through his tenacity, through his courage of of dealing with a group of people that he was not popular with about this very important issue. He shows us that the cross, the gospel, it is our boast as God's people. He said it that way in verse 14. He said, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Legalism, dead religion, it leads us to boast in ourselves But true Christians know that their boast is only in what Christ has done. In fact, that's a great way to figure out whether you're really about the gospel or not. If you boast in your works, you've uncovered the heart of your religion. If you boast in your politics or your perspectives, you've uncovered the heart of your religion. If you boast in your performance or conversely are decimated by your failures, you've uncovered the heart of your religion. But if you boast only in Christ and what he has done, you have the Christian religion. It's only faith in Christ's work that saves us. It's only through submission to the Spirit's power that we can be changed. And Paul did whatever he could to convince us of these truths. And as Paul wrapped up his letter, he was like really, really hoping that this whole issue had finally been settled once and for all. He said in verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. It's like this aging apostle. He's standing there and he's saying, look, man, I've been beaten for this message. I've been persecuted for this message. I didn't have to go out and get a Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel tattoo because somebody else tattooed me, man. I've been beaten, I've been scarred for the sake of the gospel. He stood up for that gospel again here to the Galatians. He defended throughout this book his own preaching of that message. He showed the biblical reasons that this message is true and he explained the radically good life that the gospel can generate. And now he's done and he's hoping that the argument is finished. And then at the end, he says, in one last prayer, he says, I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you, that it would overcome your spirit, that will suffocate legalism in the process. You know, to me, it's just all so on brand for Paul. For, for the, to the very end, grace is what's coming out of his mouth and his pen. Now, recently, I watched a movie called The Old Man and the Gun. And uh, it's the last movie of Robert Redford's acting career. Some of you don't know who Robert Redford is, but he is an iconic actor. And he had announced, this is my last movie. And in his catalog, he's got so many movies where he has a gun. He's got so many movies where he's riding a horse. And so many movies where he rides a horse with a gun off into the sunset at the end of the movie. I don't mean to ruin the old man and the gun for you. But I will tell you that there's a portion of the movie where Robert Redford rides off into the sunset riding a horse with a gun. It was like the director's way of saying, good career, and we're gonna keep you on brand to the very end. 
That's Paul right here. He's on brand to the very end. He starts with grace. How could you ever adulterate the grace of the gospel? And he concludes with, let's let the matter be settled. It's all about Jesus and this gospel of grace. Let's never depart from it. And I pray that that last little word of the letter, amen, it means so be it. I pray that that would be the so be it of our hearts as well that we would say, amen, Paul. I want the gospel to have first place in my life. There might be other things that are important to me. There might be other things that are valuable to the world in which I live. There might be other things that are needed for society in the day and age that I'm in, but none of them hold a candle to the gospel of grace that Jesus suffered and died to bring to this world. My prayer is that we would let it have first place in our lives by a mile not first place by a nose, but first place by a mile. Gospel number one, everything else secondary to it. And as we believe in this message, let's fly up into the life that only the gospel provides for us, free and accepted by God because of Jesus's work, not our own, responding in love to all that he's done for us. Let's say with Paul, as he said in verse 14, Far be it from us to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we be that kind of people? Boasting not in ourselves, but in the cross. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this glorious cross. And we, Lord, want to put all our chips in on that gospel message. We have the answer for humanity today. Thank you, Lord. We thank you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus. And I want to let you know that he wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to bring a peace into your life that you've never known. And he wants to secure you into the family of God forever. But this cannot happen through church attendance or any outward thing. It happens by believing that Jesus is God who became one of us and lived the perfect life that we could never have lived and died on a cross for us to take our punishment and judgment into his body and then rose from the dead on the third day. And the Bible says that if you believe in him, if you confess him, then you will be saved. He wants to reach into your life. He wants to make you new. And he's inviting you. But you have a decision to make to his invitation. And so if that describes you today and you're ready to say yes to the invitation of God, the invitation of Jesus, then pray something like this to him right now from your heart to him. Say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Come into my life and make me new. Thank you for sending Jesus to live the life I could never have lived, to die the death that I should have died, and for raising him back to life so that I can now have new life in him. Come into my life and make me new. 
and help me, God, to now live my life for you. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We rejoice in you today, for you are good, and this gospel you've given us is so good. We praise you and rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. If you prayed me this morning, I'd ask you to visit me out in the lobby after the service. I'd love to meet you and get you started right in your life in Christ. Some of you are going to ask me what we're going to study next as a church. We're going to do a brief little study in a portion of Luke's gospel to think about the ministry of Christ. What was Jesus about for a handful of weeks this summer before then taking a return visit to the Psalms, starting in Psalm 11, where we visit the Psalms for six or seven weeks. And then it looks like in the fall, we'll be in the book of Proverbs, followed by the book of Micah before Christmas. Uh, but next week, we have a special treat, and I want you to be praying for this day. Pastor Jeff Buck is going to be teaching us this next Sunday. As many of you know, he's retiring this July and so this message next Sunday is going to be his final Sunday message as a staff pastor here at Calvary. And he has served us so well. He and his wife, Denise, are gonna be part of the church for years to come and live here locally. I'm sure I'll get him up here at least once or twice in the years to come, uh, but this will be his last message as a staff pastor. So let's support him and be praying for him and hear what God lays on his heart for our congregation uh, next Sunday. God bless you guys. Let's sing to the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.